Hello, and welcome to TNBS, the Thursday Night Bible Study. This study was held on July 8, 2010. Tonight we continue our study of Romans in the 5th chapter, beginning with the 12th verse. So welcome again. This is TNBS, Volume 2, Session 13. Alright, tonight we're going to be back in the 5th chapter of Romans. Do you remember last week... Paul starts off with therefore, which kind of ties together what has taken place in, in the first four chapters and what is what's going to take place here in the fifth chapter. He's talked about the fact that we are all sinners in 3.23, all for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that we all fall under God's wrath and his judgment. But by faith in Christ, we have been justified by Christ, that is declared not guilty, because of the penalty that Christ has paid. Because of our sin, the penalty is death. So a death is required for payment for our sin. So that is what God's justice requires. But Jesus Christ, who lived sinless life, died on the cross, and so his death is payment for our sins, and so that's the way we can be justified by God and made righteous by God through faith in Jesus Christ. And then last week, he talked about one of the benefits of, of entering into this relationship, entering into this, this justification, this righteousness with God through our faith in Jesus Christ. And he said one of those things is that we have peace with God. We're no longer at odds with God because God can have nothing to do with sin, but he can't have something to do with us because we have been justified by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we have this peace with God now. We're no longer at odds with God. And not only that, we have a new position with God. We have the, the ability, the, the right as being a friend of God, as a child of God, of being able to go directly into his presence. We don't have to go through intermediaries. We don't have to you know, call ahead and make an appointment, any of that type of thing. Uh, because of his grace, we have access to God Almighty at any time, 24-7, and that we have been reconciled with God. Remember, God's original plan was to spend all day long walking in the Garden of Eden uh, with his creation and fellowshipping with his creation. That's the, way he's, that's the way it started. That's what he desired. However, and we're going to talk more about that tonight, because of the sin of Adam, that relationship was broken. But by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, by the sacrificial death of Christ, that relationship has been restored. We have been reconciled with God. We are once again uh, at peace with God. We are once again in this position of being able to call him daddy, of having that kind of relationship with God, that our, that our relationship has been reconciled back together. So that's where we dropped, left it off last week. So this week, picking it up uh, in verse 12. Therefore, just as though one man sinned, entered into the world... And death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. Now, what Paul is going to be doing here in these verses 12 through 21, he's going to be making a comparison between Adam and Christ. And the comparison he's making here is what happened by the one act of one man, Adam, and what happened by the one act of one man called Christ. And he's going to make this comparison back between the two uh, to this. So he starts off in verse 12 by saying, Because Adam sinned, death entered into the world, in verses 12 through 14. So through the, through the action of one man, and of course, technically Eve was the one that was first deceived by the Satan, but in biblical terms, it was Adam's responsibility. Because the man was in charge of the woman. He was the one that was responsible for the woman. So uh, although she might have been the first one to sin, uh, Adam was credited with the sin. Okay? So that's the reason it says through this one man. So through this one man named Adam who sinned, sin entered into the world, death entered into the world. 
Okay? Because he sinned. Spiritual death entered into the world. Now, there's some discussion as to whether physical death entered into the world at that point or whether it was already in existence before that. In fact, I did just before tonight, I, I was reading through another commentary, and they brought up that whole topic of that maybe physical death might have existed before Adam. Well, it's kind of hard to say. One of the punishments for Adam's sin was being booted out of the Garden of Eden. Okay, and he, he was going to have to toil and and with the briars and the thorns and and raise his food and this type of thing and and Eve was going to have to be have pain in childbirth. That was one of her penalties for her sin. And he talks about at that point. He says we need to get Adam out of the Garden of Eden before he eats of the tree of life and lives forever. So it kind of seems like maybe looking at that verse. Maybe physical death actually did exist before Adam. But what Adam's sin did, what sin did, was it caused a spiritual death, a separation between God and man. So, and if you look at it in, in biological terms, if you look at just creation in biological terms, death is a part of creation. I mean, plants don't live forever, animals don't live forever, nothing lives forever. I mean, in fact, if the plants don't die, then man probably couldn't live. <laughs> so it's that type of thing. The animals eat the dead plants, and then you know, we eat the animals, et cetera, et cetera. So physical death probably may have existed before Adam. Not really a critical point, but just an interesting thing to think about, particularly when God says, let's get him out of the Garden of Eden before he eats of the tree of life. And then the last statement about the Garden of Eden is God sets the cherubim, 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 cherubim the angel. <laughs> He sets the angel there with a the flaming sword at the gate to the Garden of Eden to guard the tree of life. It makes that specific point. So anyway, so what Paul is saying here is this. Through this action of one man, sin entered into the world. Death entered into the world. Spiritual death entered into the world. Through the one action of this one man named Adam. Therefore, at verse 12, just as through one man sin entered into the world, look down to verse 15, but the free gift is not like the transgression, for by the transgression of the one, the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. He says, so if sin entered into the world through the action of one man, and therefore death entered into the world through the action of this one, one man, he says, and for by the transgressions of this one man, many have died, or many died, because of the sin. He says, but by the death of one man, Christ, many now live. So you see this, this comparison he's making here between Adam and Christ. What Adam did caused sin and death to enter into the world. What Christ did by his death was to bring back life in the spiritual sense. Okay? And he, can, he keeps up this comparison all the way through. Look down at verse 17. For if by the transgressions of the one, okay, the transgressions of the one, that was Adam, for if by the transgressions of the one, death reigned through the one. Okay, that's where death came. Then much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. If you go through, go through the account how many times the word O-E-N-E appears, you probably, it's just like, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 different times in just these few verses. Because he keeps talking about the one man Adam and the one man Christ and what their actions brought into the world. For if by the transgression of the one death reigned, then through through those who received the grace through the one Christ, life will reign. Through Adam, the one man death reigned. Through Christ, the one man life reigns. Okay? Again, that comparison going back and forth. 
Uh, Looking at verse 18. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation. Okay, he's talking about the action of Adam caused sin and death. He's talking about this this transgression, death reign. Now he's talking about this transgression, this condemnation. So he keeps using different terms, but basically he's making the same comparison through what Adam did versus what what Christ did, verse 18. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so, through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. So here again, there's the opposites that are being compared, being compared and contrasted here. Through the transgression of Adam condemnation of all man but through the one act of righteousness justification and life now reigns among men verse 19 for as though the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners okay through Adam's disobedience many were made sinners even so through the obedience of the one the many will be made righteous okay so you see the comparison there again through the disobedience of Adam we were made sinners, but because of Christ's obedience to God, then we'll be made righteous. Okay? Again, that comparison between the two. But through one man's disobedience, many became sinners. Through the one act of obedience, many became righteous. Is that one man, one act. That's a comparison again all throughout here. This is the point he's trying to make. And he just says it in several different ways. Then in verse 20, And the law came in that the transgression might increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. That as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then he, at the very end he brings up the, the, the fact of the law there again. That when the law came, which came you know hundreds of years after Adam, if not thousands? No, hundreds, I guess. Yeah, I guess maybe hundred years. Several generations. After Adam was when the law came through Moses. And when the law came, he says, that just made it more evident that sin existed in the world because now everybody knew what they should be doing and they weren't. You know, so it just kind of brought to light all of the sins of man. For it says, and the law came and the transgressions might increase. So the, the transgressions actually increased when people started realizing they were breaking all of God's laws. Well, they didn't know that before, but then they started realizing it after the law came. So the transgressions increased, but it says, but more, even more so, did the grace abound. So he's making this comparison between the two, but he's not really saying they're equal. (laughs) Okay? Adam's action brought sin and death into the world. Christ's action brought righteousness into the world. But Adam was one sin that caused all this death. Christ came with his his death and covered all sins. You know, so how much more is God's grace through Jesus Christ as a result of what, what, what Christ did through his obedience? So it's not a direct comparison, okay, but it is this, this contrast between the two. He, what, what the one man did in Adam and what the one man in Christ did and what resulted from those actions, okay? So that's the comparison he's trying to make. Now, Through the one act of disobedience of the one man, Adam, we received sin, death, God's judgments, and wrath. I'll read that again to you. This is is not a verse. This is my notes. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) Boy, that did sound biblical, didn't it? Maybe I ought to write that down. (laughs) Yeah, this Romans keel. This is verse 522. You know, (laughs) <laughs> of Romans by Keel. <laughs> Through the one act of disobedience of the one man, Adam, we received sin, 
death, God's judgment, and wrath. Through the one act of obedience of the one man, Christ, we receive forgiveness, justification, righteousness, and eternal life. That's the comparison he's making here. This whole phraseology, and I think NIV says it more than mine, it, it takes on this, this type of, um, of phrasing is that, that says, just as, so also. These verses, that, and I think the NIV uses those actual phrases. Yeah, just as, so also. In other words, just as Adam, so also Jesus Christ. Then he carries it one step further. Just as Adam disobeyed God, so also Jesus Christ obeyed God. And then he builds some more on that. Just as Adam disobeyed God and lost peace with God, so also Jesus Christ obeyed God and restored peace with God. And then the final statement this particular commentary made, just as Adam disobeyed God, lost peace with God, for all who are physically related to him, so also Jesus Christ obeyed God, restored peace with God for all who are spiritually related to him. Okay? Now, there are a lot of theological implications to these verses. And a lot of discussions that people can get into here. Going back to the original sin uh, of Adam and, and, you know, why are we considered guilty for something that was done by one man, you know, thousands of years ago. But Adam sinned and so therefore that we're all condemned because of that sin. And there's a lot of ways of looking at the verses and the commentaries I've read have just, you know, they all seem to, to take their own light on this thing. Don't want to get real heavy into all the theology, okay? One comment was that, you know, if, if you really have a problem with being condemned because of the action of one man thousands of years ago, because, see, Adam in Hebrew can also mean mankind, okay? And so the sin of Adam condemned all of mankind, which condemns us. If you go back to the original sin, and some people say, well, I have a problem with that, with God judging me for something that happened thousands of years ago, you know. Why, why am I guilty because of one man's sins thousands of years ago? Well, at the same time, then, then why am I redeemed by <laughs> one man's not sins, <laughs> you know, in Jesus Christ? Okay, so if you've got a problem with one, you should have a problem with the other one, <laughs> you know. But you can wax eloquently for hours on this discussion. But there is one point I want to mention to you here. Because these verses, particularly verses 18 and 19, when they're pulled out of context, have been the basis for a theology or doctrine which seems to be becoming a little bit more prevalent now than it has been in the past. It's kind of like the roller coaster you were talking about earlier. This, you know, the theology and doctrines have a tendency to become popular and unpopular and popular and unpopular quite often. But it's called the, the, the doctrine of universality. Universalism, excuse me, to put it that way. Uh, universalism. And look at verses 18 and 19 of this chapter. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, Okay. Even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. Okay. Now you kind of see what that verse is leading to. Verse 19. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. 
And the universalism theology kind of basically says, because one sinned, all died. And because one obeyed, all lived. That's what those verses are saying. It says, through the, through the sin of one man, we've all been condemned. Condemnation, verse 18. Just as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification to all men. And basically, they're saying this, is, this, is, has, this has led some to proclaim that what is known as universalism, which is the doctrine that Adam's disobedience caused all men to die. But Christ's obedience has caused all men to live. Okay? That's saying everybody's going to go to heaven. That's exactly what it's saying, Nick. It says everybody's going to go to heaven. It's universal. Universalism. And there's some twists on that. Some say that uh, we're all going to be in heaven after some go through some punishment of some sort. Then we're all going to wind up in heaven. If you look at that verse, it, it does say that, really. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so, through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. But you have to realize that the all men are, are talking about different men here. At the beginning of that verse where it says, through the one act of, of transgression or disobedience resulted condemnation to all men, and through the obedience of Christ resulted justification to all men. But they're, they're different. Those two alls are not equal there. Particularly when you don't take it out of context. You leave it in the context of these verses and go back and look at verse 17. Now look at what verse 17 says. For if by the transgression of the one death reigned through the one, much more those who what? Those who received. What my scripture says. Those who received the abundance of grace, and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. That's the whole key there. So universalism says, through Adam's act, all will die. Through Christ's act, all will live. That's based on verse 18. Just looking at verse 18. But when you put it in the context of what Paul is saying here, and when you put that in context with this letter, remember he's talked about what? He's talked about faith. He's talking about Abraham was declared righteous by what? By his faith in Christ. By his faith in God. It wasn't just by an act. It was by the person's individual choice, faith. Now there's even a, a modified universalism approach that, that comes up where it says, all are saved except those who intentionally reject Jesus Christ. Well, again, that's basically taking 18 and 19 and just pulling them out of the context and saying those two alls are equal. All men are sinners because of one act, and all men are saved because of one act. And that's not what Paul is saying here. That's not, that's not what he means. All men are sinners because of the one act of Adam, yes. And all men are saved who receive the grace of Jesus Christ through faith, through the one act of Jesus Christ. That's the whole point he's making there. So the two alls are not exactly equal. But there's been a, a lot of discussion about this, and, and it's becoming a fairly more popular theology or doctrine. It's called the doctrine of universalism, to where all are saved, you know, that, that we're all going to get to heaven. There's multiple ways to heaven. Yes, that's kind of a spinoff on that same thing, that Christ is not the only way. That doesn't jive with the rest of Scripture. It really doesn't. It does not jive with the rest of Scripture. Uh, there are some other verses which universalism claim is being, uh, that will support their claim. But again, if you look at them in context, that is not what Paul, and it's usually quite often Paul's letters, that is not what Paul is saying. It really isn't. 
when you keep it in context uh, with verses 12 through 21, especially verse 17, the more orthodox view is that all are lost except those who intentionally accept Jesus Christ. Not all are saved except those who intentionally reject Jesus Christ. <laughs> you know, it's, it's the opposite. But that's not biblically correct, I don't believe so. It is true that by Adam sin entered the world and thus death and we, all of us, who are in Adam, that is, all who are part of the human race, are sinners. Okay? Because we are descendant of Adam physically. But, as verse 17 clearly states, those who are in Christ, who have received God's grace and gift of righteousness through faith in Christ, will receive life. All humans are in the first Adam physically, so we all are subject to death, spiritual death. But not all humans are in the second Adam, which is Christ, spiritually. Okay? And these and these verses are, are quite often referred to as the first and second Adam. Uh, you may you may sometimes hear that phrase. In fact, Paul even later on in scripture talks about Christ being the second Adam and in one verse and over in Ephesians. So I just want to mention that to you. As you get older <laughs> And as, and as you go off to school and get around other folks and you start getting around other religious beliefs and other philosophies and other theologies and other doctrines and things like that, I just want to make you aware of that. This is probably where universalism gets most of its, its, its oomp is out of these verses here. When it says, when verse 18, when Paul is saying, so then through the one's transgressions we all received condemnation, through the one act of obedience we all receive life. Or life is to all men. No, no, no. Through the one act of righteousness, obedience, and righteousness, there is life to all men who receive that gift through faith. Okay? And that's the clarifier there. And if you keep it in context with verse 17, then it's clear what Paul is saying here. So, universalism is not a, a doctrine which is biblical, in my, in my humble opinion, anyway. <laughs> Uh, I do not believe that all are going to be saved, and I think there and there are other scriptures that talk about that. That I, I believe that there are going to be people in hell. You know, hell is not going to be empty. <laughs> you know, what Paul is saying is true. Through the through the act of one man, sin did enter into this world, and because of of Adam, uh, and because we are physically descended from Adam, and that we are in Adam physically in that sense, then yeah, we received the condemnation of God, and. Granted, through the one act of obedience of Jesus Christ, through his sacrificial death, uh, then yes, we do receive life. If we accept that sacrificial death through faith. And if you see how Paul has progressed here, he starts off in verse 1 uh, and 1 and 2 and starts talking to the Jews about the fact that, you know, they, they were trying to get to heaven by obeying the law. And by being circumcised and by being the chosen people, they thought they had this special privilege that they got they got the hall pass on God's judgment <laughs> because well you know you know us and God we're tight <laughs> you know we're tight I mean He chose us uh, and you know, we got the physical mark of circumcision in our bodies to prove it we have His law you know I mean we're tight we're okay and all we have to do is we don't have to do anything because we got His law and we got a circumcision we have this special calling of God so we're exempt from His judgment and Paul said no 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 it doesn't work that way. 
the fact that you have the law just should make you more aware of your sin. <laughs> and the fact that all men have sinned and that we all fall short. So that's where he starts off with his argument. Then he goes into, the, he counters the other argument of the Jews in chapter 4 where they say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Abraham, Abraham, he obeyed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And Paul said, no, 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 no. Go back and read the scripture closely. It doesn't say that Abraham obeyed and God declared him righteous. It said Abraham believed and God declared him righteous. It was Abraham's faith that made him righteous, that, that got the righteousness from God. It wasn't his actions. Now, granted, his action was because of his belief and because of his faith. Because he believed in God and God's promise, then he acted and obeyed God. But it wasn't his action that did it. It was his faith. It was his belief in God that was credited to him as righteousness. And if you read the scripture closely, that's exactly what it says. It was because he believed in God that it was credited to him as righteousness. And that happened, by the way, before he had the law, so he wasn't justified by the law. It also happened before he was circumcised. It happened in chapter 12 of Genesis, or 15. I think it's 12. And he wasn't circumcised at 15. Like, you know, three, four years later. And he didn't get the law into it. Well, he didn't get the law at all. The law didn't come across until 463 years later. So, he wasn't justified by the law. He wasn't justified because of circumcision. He wasn't justified because he was Jewish. Because he wasn't. He was just Abram. Because when God entered into covenant with Abram, there was no Jew and Gentile. Once he entered into that covenant, then yes, then that established the Jewish nation. <laughs> but he was justified, he was classically declared righteous because of his faith in God. And then Paul takes that on and says... Through Adam's sin, we all became sinners. Through Christ's obedience, we can receive life if we receive it in faith. Now, I don't remember if I actually made this statement back when we first started Romans, but I think I did mention it last week. This is one of the difficult things about Romans, okay? It's not like James... James is just this really neat sermon, which I think it was a sermon. James probably preached somewhere, and somebody wrote it down and started passing around the church. A lot of good, just a lot of good zingers, you know, a lot of good one-liners, a lot of good teachings in there, you know. I love James. James is a good book. Philippians, great book. Paul, this this heartfelt letter to this church and these people that he loved dearly, you know, just great stuff in there and just encouraging to them and, and this type of thing. No, the, the Romans is different. Romans is Paul laying out his theology. It, there are some difficult parts of this in here. And people have argued about Romans ad nauseum for, for eternity, you know. <laughs> and they probably will continue until God settles it all. And, and you have things like universalism popping up. And you have things like, well, you know, what is original sin? And what's that got to do with me, you know, 3,000 years later, you know. And you have all of these other things that come up. Uh, so it, it, it can't be confusing at times it can be difficult at times but I, I am glad we're going through it because there's some good stuff in here and it's a good foundation for you to have and to be able to know when somebody says well, wait a minute doesn't the Bible teach somewhere that because of Adam's sin we all died but because of Christ's obedience we're all going to live no no I remember reading it somewhere where'd you read it somewhere in Romans wasn't it wait a minute let me go find yeah Romans Romans 318 it says that back up one dude read Romans 5 7 excuse me Romans 5.18. Tell them to back up one and read 5.17. You know? Because that'll make it clear. It's by receiving. 
that grace through faith. And he says, well, how do you receive the grace? Go look at Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not because of anything that you have done that no man should boast. Okay? So this is how you, do, you tie all this together. And, and this is what the importance of, of knowing Romans and knowing what Romans says. So that you can be more firm in your own faith. And not argue. I don't argue religion with anybody. I won't argue religion with anybody. I'll discuss it with anybody who, wants, who wishes to discuss it. But I won't argue religion. I don't have to argue religion. You know, I don't have to argue the truth of God. It's true. You know, I don't have to defend it. It's true. It defends itself. Uh, I don't have to. I don't have to prove it, because it's it's real. Uh, I can testify to it, and I can point it out where it says certain things in the scripture if I know where they are. But I don't have to argue it, and I don't have to, and I don't have to prove it, and I don't have to justify it, because it's truth. It's God's truth. It is real. Through one man all sinned. Through one man's obedience all can receive life. If they receive it through faith in Jesus Christ. That's a difference in saying we're all going to get to heaven. So keep it in context. Pray with me. Father God, Lord, I thank you for Paul. I thank you that, that you gave him the, the wisdom and the intelligence and the, the forethought and the, to write all this down. And now we need help, Lord. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you'll help us to understand. And to grasp what Paul is saying here. Yeah, it, 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 it can get a little technical at times. And it almost sounds like maybe a lawyer arguing before a judge at times. But, but you know, Father, it's important to know these things. It's important for us to realize exactly what Paul is teaching. Exactly what you are teaching through Paul. So I thank you, Father. I thank you that we have your word to study. And I thank you, Holy Spirit that we have you to teach us. So continue to lead us into your truth, into the fullness of your truths, so that we can walk daily and live our lives daily based on those truths. And above all, thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus, for your obedience, even to death for if it wasn't for that then we would not have the eternal life and the justification and the reconciliation with almighty God thank you and now be with us this week father help us to walk in your ways and in your truth reflecting your glory to all that we meet. For this is my prayer in and through the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, my Savior and my Lord, and my very bestest friend. Amen and amen. Thank you for joining us tonight. And as always, if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions about any of these studies, please email me. My email address is David L. Keel. That's spelled D-A-V-I-D-L-K-E-E-L at gmail.com. So until next week, 
it is my prayer that God will continue to bless you and that we will continue to walk in the reality of the truth of His Word. God bless you.